Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Nicole Glover, author of the novel The Undertakers, the second book in the Murder and Magic series. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Undertakers, how would you describe the novel? It's a fantasy murder mystery set in 1871 Philadelphia. It follows a husband and wife detective duo who were both former underground railroad conductors. He decided they're going to solve mysteries, but they also have skills with magic. And a lot of the mysteries and other mysteries deal with magic around their neighborhood. And the Undertakers basically follows follows a mystery that they thought they solved in the, in the month or so before the book starts. And find out in the course of the book. Not only that it's not as solid as he thought it was, there's lots of other interesting things going on recently that's tied to it and leads to unexpected places. That's great. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Undertakers? And also, what was your original idea for writing the mag- Murder and Magic series? Well, as The Undertakers is a book, too. It's basically drew out of the literally kind of came out of the conductors. It was, I had gotten a two book deal when I sold the conductors initially. So as I was editing and rewriting the conductors, getting it ready for publications, I was cutting and taking the certain, certain things that were, that could be used for the undertakers, basically. Anything I kind of cut from the conductors, I thought maybe I could use certain plot points, certain ideas, or certain research that it could have been in the conductors into the undertakers. And The Undertakers kind of took shape from a lot of that, that cut stuff and just a lot of interesting research bits that I thought were fascinating, like the the rise of the the, the volunteer fire companies, the shift to public services fire companies in Philadelphia at that time period, and this idea of these strange fires and people who are the kind of nefarious behind certain things. I found research about underground tunnels that was interesting, like as 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 mostly question marks about how much they related to like you know underground work. Of work during that time period and afterwards and maybe the idea of these abandoned tunnels still being around and being put to some use and there's some like this little history of things like that and just kind of just pulling pulling things i really liked like a subplot involved a cipher that was largely inspired by the infamous beale cipher that you know that room there's a rumored treasure that's like there's there's treasure somewhere in virginia and like there's ciphers a pamphlet of ciphers that you need to code that no one's ever been able to do it and there's idea that it's fake and i saw that and i was like maybe i should make it my own fictional version of this and just move it in there just for some fun and uh, other things just like just continuing some of the character arts and having a lot of fun with the world because the, the best thing about book two is that after you already established the world and the characters, so you get to have more fun and to kind of explore places and just go wild. Well, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing your first novel? I've always loved to write and had different ideas for certain things. And I was also always wanted to be a published author because, you know, I loved books. I loved the idea of having my name on of a book that's on the library shelf somewhere. So that was always my goal. And so I wrote a lot of different things over the years. And I think just before the conductors, I had serious, I had been trying to seriously publish a few things. It was like a steampunk novel. There was, I think, uh, something kind of fairy tale rewrite. It's like, you know, fairy tale princesses, that sort of thing. And I think even a superhero novel, but none of those were really like taken, given bites. So I was like, let's try something different. And I always liked to 
I always loved history. I loved the idea of the of that all the underground world conductors and all that kind of stuff. And I was also got really intrigued by the Reconstruction period, period of post Civil War time period. That was fascinating. And I had this idea, these characters, and the past. And when I was, it was as I was me- messing around with an idea of that story, I had just had this random idea. Let's add magic to the story because I've always been a fantasy reader because that makes it fun. It's gonna this worked really well. I added the fantasy and magic to it, and suddenly there was murder and mystery, and it just kind of came together really well. I was really intrigued with the characters, intrigued with all the edge of plays and these different genres clashing together. Well, well, now that you've published these two books, have you thought about, or do you think that you'll go back to kind of like the cyberpunk novel at some point, or will you just keep looking ahead? I mean, I always have different, a lot of different ideas, and sometimes they fade away. I like to keep a running a list of ideas or potential like story seeds I have at a time. And as I got these two books, like, you know, ready and public, written and published, some of them actually have fallen off of these ideas that just fallen off because I'm no longer interested or I just have different directions I want to go with certain story. So I always have a few spanner in the in the mix, so to speak, of different ideas. And I've gotten a chance. Once I like I set the book two off to the get published i'd still work on some other stuff i've kind of been putting on letting like you know kind of boil on the stove in the background well you mentioned research earlier what kind of research did you do when you were writing the undertakers a lot of uh kind of it's it was actually much lower key that compared to my first book with the conductors because i did a lot of intense stuff with the conductors so undertakers it's more like uh cherry picking certain details if i wanted to make sure i got certain civil war battles or certain locations of that time period i did more and more targeted research in that direction it kind of just pulled back on a lot, of, a lot of the notes i had originally started with i think um, i did find like a couple of different new things that i was as, as you always do when you're writing things and kind of went with that a lot of it is just like kind of targeted with certain aspects of certain things well, how did you decide on Philadelphia as a setting for the Undertakers? Yeah, I would, like all my research kind of led me there, Philadelphia. Because well, there's a lot of fascinating aspects of it because it played a big role in a lot of uh, uh, antebellum uh, resistance to slavery at that time period. They had Philadelphia had a, a really large and robust uh, black and pink black community. For years, like dating back from the you know, American Revolutionary War days, and so it's a big, robust community with lots of acts, lots of activities, lots of people really active in the communities, and so there are a lot, a lot of interesting things to pull towards. It. And that was just, it was, it was an interesting area, and a lot of just a lot of good history, a lot of good, a lot of good landscape to pull different things in there. And yeah, it's it was a lot of fun. It's a, and yeah, it, it just made a perfect. It just felt like a perfect fit for the story when I just started. Place in character. That's great. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on The Undertakers? Did you outline the novel extensively or just dive into the narrative? I always find when I start writing, I usually just kind of, I have a few plot points. Like I, and I come in, so these are murder mysteries. I come in with the idea of who's the victim, um, who's the murderer, how they did it, and some ideas of why. And and other, other other than like some key uh, key scenes I want to do, I kind of just start writing with about the first third or so. I kind of just a lot of it since it's set up, while it is figuring out, putting all those initial pieces of the mystery in place, and uh, and of course reintroducing the world, character worlds and characters to readers, and like you know not in a gentle way. That that's I kind of just free write that, and once I hit about the thirty percent mark, 
that's when I start to outline where it's like a more like a, to do a broader, broader pit, picture outline that like it's just some like key scenes, uh, important scenes, all those different things like that. And the further along, I'll kind of reinforce that outline. It's, I kind of view the first draft as like a big, like brainstorm, ongoing brainstorm for certain things. It's all about me getting all the words and ideas and scenes into my mind. I keep, I basically, I, 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 when I view the draft, the first draft is I, I keep the drafts not done until I run out of new scenes come to mind when I start thinking of how to improve or revise or change up scenes. I know it's, I'm moving into revision. And I spend most of my time revising. That's the part of running with loads because that's where I can uh, do all the alchemy of writing by combining scenes, uh, merging characters, uh, figuring out plot points, or just rearranging the story that's in the way that strengthens certain certain plots, subplots, or and, and just bring in just things that interest me. And and when you're doing that revision process that you just described, can you can you give us a little bit of kind of the nuts and bolts? I mean, you. Are you, are you, uh, when you're combining a scene or when you're cutting out, are you keeping, um, info, are you keeping that, that, um, writing in another file that you can go back to? I'm just curious about kind of the. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. I, I work in Word. So I'll have like several documents open. Like I have the, my main manuscript document. I'll have a document with all the notes, like, you know, character notes, murders, all this different timeline stuff. Another document is basically a dump file where everything I cut ends up there. <laughs> and sometimes when I'm like, a, I'm even revising a scene, I might copy that and just stick it there anyway, just in case I might take plot certain lines or rearrange certain things. So it's basically a big, big old dump file that I keep, I keep drawing back to. And sometimes I take the point to point of prime. I have like several thousand <laughs> words in there after a while. But yeah, I keep everything I write because a lot of times it's, it's you know it might spark something else like I like I said like it's a all it's like a large scale brainstorming so there might be something like it's a line or a mo- uh, or a mood of a certain scene that could be uh, you know changed up in different fashion later on in in manuscript so I have a bunch of those and sometimes I even draw back from like older stuff I've written there's like other like drafts that will not become books. But they have like certain scenes, or I remember certain scenes, or remember certain characters, remember certain lines. That's I find that my revision process could work well with what I'm currently writing. So <laughs> it, the only trick with that is I have to remember which like file that is. Sometimes sometimes <laughs> that I'm really good at remembering, but sometimes I don't. So sometimes I'll have like all these because well, I do a lot of different draft versions of so, well, of, of stuff. So I have to go through my files and try to remember when was the most latest day I worked on this where I could find it. And sometimes I waste time going through these files, looking for a scene. Then to come find, find out that it's not going to really work. It's to begin with because it's like, so I had to change so much anyway, but it's just, it's just basically sparking all these changes as I'm revising. Interesting. Well, are you working on a new novel now? Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, I'm always working on something. Right? <laughs> um, 
I actually just finished revising a novel I wrote earlier this year that just during my little uh, final, like kind of final phases before I you know, send off some agents and stuff for her feedback, certain things. But like kind of, that's kind of fun to kind of fine tune something that fully kind of fully done, but not like perfect fit done like you would see a published novel. I had finished up something back in October that was basically, that just is an idea of a book that kid came up like this year, literally, because it's like this vibes of different things I really liked and it still needs some work, but I'm letting it rest for now as to, so I can have some time to refresh your eyes, look back at certain plot things. But I you know I always stop when I get to a spot where it's pretty good. And so in the meantime, I'm working on something new <laughs> because, you know, I got it. I'm, I'm tempted to see if I can get into book three by the end of this year. And it might, it might, I might be able to say it actually had drafted out this particular book at one point last year. So I have an outline to work with and it's a pretty high, good high concept. So I might be able to do fingers crossed for the end of this year and have come out with book three finish, at least for a draft. That's great. So. We'll, well, given yeah. given your um, success with the the first two books uh, in this murder and magic series, and as you said, um, you you got these published after you working on other novels, um, a cyberpunk novel, mm-hmm. etc. What writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Yeah, my my big thing is you know write what you like, write things you enjoy writing about. Because, you know, if you write to a market or write to just get, write a certain specific like, uh, target idea or audience, you know, you're going to end up not really liking it because you spend a lot of time with these books, hours and hours, so many constant revisions that if you write something you don't really like, you're going to end up hating it. So if you start off with at least something you really love and something you enjoy, you'll find, you'll find, you'll find it's, it'd be nice to come back each time, the how many times you need doing it. Um, other advice is to kind of keep in mind that things can change with the book. It's it's not over until it's actually printed out, printed. <laughs> so you could it's change. You change. You don't get in the mindset of like you're locked in place of certain plot things. I I fall victim to that a lot of thinking I can't change this because you know I, I wrote all this particular plot line out, but until it's printed, you could change whatever you like. So. Yeah, just remember, and everything can change. You can cut out plots. You can cut out, like, you know, a third of the book. You can remove characters. You can add characters. You can add romantic plots, remove them, all this other stuff. Everything can change with the book. It's not done until it's printed. That's good. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Uh, it's, I guess it's been busy. I know I've been reading a lot of different comics and stuff, and most of this kind of root, root, uh, I actually, I did actually just finished with the big reread of this comic that I really loved. It finished a few years ago. It was called Giant Days and it was published by Boombox. And so it's basically a slice of life and of like college students in England. And it's always, it was, it was a fun to re, kind of reread that and just revisit that story. Um, it's nonfiction. I've been, re- I've been reading a lot of research for nonfiction. So I'm not going to, it's just very, all this is various things of uh, different topics from like, a, uh, like ancient uh, archaeological discovery, space race. Um, I actually got a few recommendations from like a podcast the other day about like a this food. I guess they call him the food spy. I forget his name because I just picked up the book in the library. But he basically was like the podcast described him as like a food spy who went around. I guess it was like late night, early, I guess late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. He was basically looking around for new foods to sell to like to market in America or the in the U.S. 
And you basically run around the world to kind of look, looking for foods. I'm interested to kind of look through that book. And I think I just got to read through that. And that, stuff. that sounds interesting. Um, I'll have to look into that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's mostly why I picked it up too. <laughs> it's because it's like, uh, it's, that sounds interesting. And I could, and also a lot of times I'd be well in nonfiction. I try to, sometimes I might end up being sparking for like different, like fancy stuff. Like, you know, I was thinking like maybe even if I'm not going to write literally like in, like the U.S. about this particular food, but I might feel like you know might be something I could, a character that could be could feature in some other future book. But it's just yeah, but that's that's the thing I always like. I, a lot of times, no matter what I read, especially particularly nonfiction, it's like uh, this could be inspiration for something else. <laughs> so it's, it's makes it, it's, it's kind of hard. Like it makes it sometimes it's like it's mixing like work with pleasure, but it's a good a good way of mixing work and that's pleasure. Good. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Yeah, I have a website. Uh, it's Nicole like dash Glover dot com, and I'm also on the Twitter. It's basically my name, but except for it's the the B is replaced with a W, so it's like Nicole Glab Glower. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Nicole Glover, author of the novel The Undertakers, the second book in the Murder and Magic series. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Nicole, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Undertakers, the Murder and Magic series, book two by Nicole Glover, narrated by Bonnie Turpin, available wherever audiobooks are sold. Chapter one, July 1871, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hex, curse, or charm, Hetty asked as they strode down Barclay Street. Don't say that hex and curse are the same. There are nuances, you know. Of course there are, her husband replied. Benji took a moment to consider the question before replying. I think it's a jinx. That wasn't a choice? Should be. There's got to be a reason that place is still standing. Benji pointed to the only house on this end of the street. Despite its neighbors being reduced to piles of rubble, this home was untouched by the fire. A state that was quite unnerving, given that even the still-standing homes of the street had shown some signs of the fire. Since the end of May, news of a fire had reached their ears twice a week and sometimes more. While small fires around a single home or a building were not uncommon, these fires were different. They engulfed both sides of a street, and once they started, they raged until they burned themselves out. Such fires led people to craft charms and potions to keep their homes safe. And the ones that didn't make their own bought them from charlatans who touted fireproofing potions that could barely quell a candle's flame. While reports of this fire would have brought them to this street anyway, Hetty and Benji got word of it in a somewhat different manner. Just after midday, Hetty had found a card left in their post box. A card with a sun and a crescent moon drawn on one side, and on the other, a brief message. Last night, a fire took eight homes on Barclay Street and scorched more than a few, but one home stands untouched by the flames. 
Such a message wasn't just odd. It was downright peculiar. And peculiar was their business. Although the day was still young, the fire itself was a distant memory, with only traces of smoke left in the air. What it left in its wake was still evident. Buildings here were mostly made of wood and were home to several families, both large and small. While this wasn't the slums, neither were the people rich. Some homes were divided so that as many as six families occupied a building, and most people rented out a spare room to any interested boarder. While only eight houses had burned down, every building on the street, save the one miraculously spared, was damaged. This meant, of course, the street was filled with people. There were those who lived on this street, making light repairs to their home and casting spells of protection. There were people tending to the dead and wounded, people checking on neighbors to see what survived the fire, and others jealously guarding piles of recovered possessions. As Hetty and Benji walked the length of the street, several people called out to Benji for help. This was not unusual. The blacksmith shop Benji used to work at was not far from here, and he was generous with his time and repairs. It wasn't surprising that so many recognized him on site as the person likely to lend a helping hand. Not that he was hard to forget, in Hetty's humble opinion. He cut a handsome figure, even in plain attire of shirt sleeves and suspenders. Although more appealing was the easy air of competence and unsatiable curiosity in the world. While Benji often pretended that other people's problems held no interest to him, they had gotten involved in mystery solving because deep down, he couldn't help but care. You take this end of the street and I'll take the other, Benji said to Hetty. We'll meet at the still standing house. Why not go there first, Hetty asked. Because there are plenty more interesting questions to ask before we do. With that, Benji crossed the street to assist a man dragging a trunk out from the rubble, already asking about what had happened last night. Hetty should do the same, but she was a bit reluctant. It was never easy asking questions about the fires, Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.